Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about three times a week. I'm Mia Friedman. <laughs> I'm Jessie Stevens. I'm Holly Wainwright. And on today's show, we need to talk about Lord's Bottom. Yes, we do. <laughs> it's Lord's Bottom time. And what is birth control counselling? But first, look, I didn't watch Four Corners on Monday night, but a lot of people are yelling at me about it. So I feel I need to know some things. Did you do something wrong? Well... The people are saying to me, like in our editorial meetings, which we have every morning where we talk about things, you should care about this. And I'm like, okay. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong. Other people at Mama Mia did watch it, do care about it, have written some things about it. You can't it, care about all the things, Holly. But I didn't have space to care. It was a long weekend. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Very busy. <laughs> Obviously, in case you're the same. It was a report on Four Corners on Monday night by Louise Milligan about QAnon and specifically about one of the Prime Minister's best friends who is a QAnon follower. Tim believes that the world has really been taken over by satanic pedophiles. And questions about the Prime Minister's old friend. When you're put in a position of public trust, you have to maintain the public's trust. I find it deeply offensive, any suggestion I would have any involvement or support for such a dangerous organisation. You've probably been reading about this story, even if you also didn't watch it, because... It was in the press a couple of weeks ago because the broadcast of it was delayed because the government took issue with it. They said, hey, is this cool? Scott Morrison pretty much said, it's not cool. You're making insinuations here that my old mate, Tim, has some kind of influence on me. So it was delayed for a couple of weeks while the ABC scrambled a little bit and made sure that it backed up what it said. And then it was aired on Monday and it was about... Whether or not this QAnon highfalutin is he is he like an important person in QAnon, Mia, or is he just a yeah he was on enthusiastic Australian QAnon person. He had lots and lots of followers, so he's quite influential. Before he got kicked off, yes. So Mm. a QAnon follower in Australia, who's one of the the more high profile ones, is also one of the prime minister's best friends. In case you are just like, what's QAnon again? It is a discredited far right conspiracy theorist group. It is allegedly run by someone who we just referred to as Q. And I guess that from a distance seeing these headlines, I thought that I was meant to think that Q had maybe infiltrated the government. Mia, you watched it, so you're going to tell me all about it. I'm going to give you a a little bit of a recap. Look, not really. That's That's the short version. You shouldn't really care. I don't think it's something to be outraged about. I think that probably the Prime Minister's response is what's rankling people more than the actual thing itself, which I think has been overblown a little bit. So let's backtrack somewhat because you mentioned QAnon as being a discredited conspiracy theory. They are identified by the FBI as a terrorist organisation. So they were also very much responsible for the riot. Sorry, its members. It's not an organised 
like yeah, it's not like a political party no, that you no. join. It's it's basically just a whole bunch of people who share conspiracy theories. And they believe things like the elite pedophile ring thing. That the world is run by a group of elite leftists who are pedophiles so is this and who drink the blood of children who they traffic all over the world. Hillary Clinton, Oprah Winfrey, Tom they Hanks, all, I think maybe Bill Gates. Bill, Bill Gates is in there. Yeah. And Donald Trump's going to save them? Yes. Donald Trump has been sent to save the world and the world's children from this satanic group of pedophile people. And, and he refused, Donald Trump refused to distance himself from them. Oh, no, he? he said he loved them. Because they said because nice they things loved about him, yeah. <laughs> which is mm. all it takes. So just to bring it back to Scott Morrison for a moment, I did watch the whole Four Corners thing. And to me, what it, at, at its heart, this guy's not necessarily one of Scott Morrison's best friends. The man is named Tim Stewart. He is a QAnon um, believer. Believer. He has a blog. He's not just like evangelist. Someone, yeah, he's like an evangelist. His son is caught up in QAnon, and his wife, whose name is Linnell, is best friends with Jenny Morrison. Right. So they're they family were, mates. So Jenny Morrison and Linnell were at high school together and they were each other's bridesmaids and they've been best friends ever since. So you know those people who are like your partner's friends or your friend's partners? It's kind of like a friend-in-law is how I'd phrase it. So, you know, they started hanging out as a couple obviously and make no mistake, they were close. So Tim Stewart was posting photos of him at Kerribilly House, him with his mate Scott. He posted one shot of his kid, uh, one of his children at Kerribilly House, um, which is the Prime Minister's residence in Sydney, saying, oh, I'm just house-sitting for the weekend. He used his connection to the PM to big himself up. And you know that photo that was taken of Scott Morrison in Hawaii around the bushfires? Mm, So Linnell and he came home early from that holiday after that photo was published and there was a big outcry about where was he. Linnell and Tim were joining them on that holiday. So Jenny and the girls stayed and Linnell and Tim flew over because that was always, it was going to be a couple's holiday. So they're legitimately mates. Yeah, legitimately mates. I have some mates whose beliefs I do not agree with. I have some mates who I love but who there are whole areas of things we cannot discuss. Correct. Is there any evidence that Tim's been getting in Scotty's ear about the QAnon, the blood drinking pedophiles? It, one t- it literally comes down to one word, and that is the word ritual abuse. So when Scott Morrison made the apology to the victims of institutionalised sexual abuse in Parliament a few years ago, he used the word ritual abuse, which... is a strange term to use in that context. Yes. So that is the word that um, text messages have have come up, and this was the basis of the Four Corners story, text messages from Tim Stewart to another QAnon believer saying, I'm going to get Scott to use the word ritual abuse in his speech today because that is the sign. You know, because if you're a QAnon supporter, yeah. you're like, they're communicating with exactly. me directly. And it means that he is on our side, kind of thing, and right? And he's a believer, and they call, they call them patriots. And when they did that inquiry into institutional child abuse, they even said, they've said since, 
that's not a term we used. That term didn't come up in our investigation. So it was a little bit strange that Scott used the word ritual. So when questioned about it, Scott Morrison said it was a term that Scott Morrison's office said it was a term that he had heard from victims and it was a term that the advocacy organisation for the victims had used in meetings that he'd had. Now, those people said that that's not true, that they have not used that term. However, the word ritual was used in that big report, that big, you know, inquiry report. It was used. And Scott Morrison further explained that he said he was using the term ritual in, in not just in the sense of repeated, but, you know, ongoing and, 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 Mm. you know, he kind of justified it. Look, there's no there there. I don't think there's no there there. I think at the very worst, maybe Tim somehow did convince him to use that word you know, if if you're trying to join the dots and saying, is Scott Morrison a secret QAnon supporter? Absolutely not. I don't believe that. That's a real overreach. This isn't the first time. But I don't think that's what the report was trying to say. No, this isn't the first time that Scott Morrison has been found to keep questionable company. And I think that's what it's about, is that he has friends in funny places. Brian Houston, the head of Hillsong. Exactly. Who was found to have covered up the pedophile crimes, ironically, of his own father in the Hillsong Church. Exactly. And so if this man has, which there's a little bit of evidence to suggest, somehow infiltrated that speech and affected what he said to the Australian public about child sex abuse. There's no proof of that, but possibly. But a suggestion. Yeah. Then I think there's a story there. That seems pretty important to me. Oh, I think to me what the story was, and I I almost wish that Four Corners had focused a little bit more on this because to me this was the heart of it and it goes back to what you were saying, Hole. It started off with his family, Tim Stewart's parents, his sister, who ironically and not ironically, was actually a victim of child abuse. Mm. And they were heartbroken at the radicalisation yeah. and the, the the complete absorption of their beloved family member and his son. So that they've lost, kind they've of lost, lost their son to a and cult. And they have actually reported their son and their grandson to the the, um, national security hotline. Oh, wow. Several times because they have been that worried. And so I think that... I think that this is stories that I've been reading for a good year or so now about people who've lost parents, who've lost children, who've lost close friends and siblings and even partners to this web of conspiracy, whether it's the anti-vax web, QAnon's been a big one. And that's heartbreaking. And that's such also an interesting thing because when that's someone in your family, you have to at some point make a decision about whether or not you're keeping them in and just being like, oh, I guess we're going to have to listen to QAnon theories again over dinner or whether you are going to take action as this family have done and said, actually, this could turn out to be dangerous. Yeah. I suppose that one of the insinuations there is that if his own family thinks he's so dangerous that they've reported him, then is he still having dinner with Jenny and Scott on the weekend? It seems not. So until the end of last year, Linnell, Tim Stewart's wife and Jenny's best friend, was working at Kirribilli House in a sort of an administrative role, which apparently I'm told is not uncommon for ministers to employ sort of friends and family in those sort of close roles, not like in a political advisor role, but in a admin-y, admin-y yeah. kind of role. The royal you, you family have, do that too. Yeah, you want to have trusted people around you that you, that you feel safe and that aren't going to, you know, betray you or sell your stories to the media. I totally not condemning that at all. So Linnell left that role at the end of last year 
And so I don't know how, in Scott Morrison's defence for a second, I don't know how you prove that you've broken up with a friend. Like it's quite difficult. Like there's no photos lately. And I think that... What this guy obviously was doing was bigging up his inf- his ability yeah. to influence the prime minister. I'm sure that happens a lot of times when you're a powerful person and you've got certain hangers-on that use their connection to you to make themselves look good, which is really uncool and really embarrassing and I imagine you have to cut them loose. Couldn't he front up and say, I was mates with him, I'm not mates with him anymore and I completely disavow, which he has said about QAnon. He, he has. said it's rid- QAnon is ridiculous. In but the last couple of weeks yeah. when he was asked about this for the Four Corners report and the ABC thing, he said it is outrageous that they would try to besmirch my family. They, they didn't. It was more just questioning his judgment by having this person yeah, so right. close to him. But I'm more pissed off by the vaccine rollout. Oh, <laughs> can I, I just have to throw in a little thing I am outraged about just to tidy up yep. the segment. I feel like you've explained that very Good. well, Mia. You have challenged my definitely explainer skills there and I, I've decided not to be outraged. Yeah, okay. no, I, I wouldn't be outraged. I'm scanning the, my body and yeah, I'm just not I'm feeling, not feeling it. it. No. But I am feeling a large pit of heated fury when I look at the pictures this week of our Prime Minister having a pint in a A Cornish pub, pub, which is in the south of uh, Great Britain. For those who are unaware, Cornwall is a place in Great Britain that is currently hosting, well, was, I think they've all gone home now, the G7 summit, which is all the super important people get together, the leaders of various countries, and they discuss Mm. important things like climate change. I saw the elbow... Yeah, um, between Boris Johnson yeah. and yeah. Scott, it's not it's and not Scott that said funny anymore. About the is Queens, it? Yeah, there's yeah, and him then, and Boris yeah. just hanging so, out. Just to be clear, Australia's not in the G7. I did not know this. So Scott Morrison didn't have to go <laughs> to Britain to go and have some beers with Boris. I assume he was invited. Uh, he was invited. He's gone as an observer officially, uh-huh. and then obviously while he's there, he's been doing some talks, and he's they've apparently struck an amazing free trade agreement. It's going to change right? all of our lives. That's good. What really annoyed me and many people I know, on Sunday I had a conversation with a friend of mine, well, actually a friend of a friend of mine, who has been trying to get permission from the Australian government to leave Australia to go to Britain because her father has just been diagnosed with pancreatic and lung cancer. Mm. And she cannot get permission to leave her own country. Australia is one of only two countries in the world that has actually banned its citizens from leaving. The other one is North Korea. So my mate can't go. Another mate of mine can't just missed his mother's funeral. Oh, Many no. people cannot go to Britain without, I mean, and people will say, yes, you can if you get, but not without committing to a three-month stay, which is not practical if, like my friend, you have small children in school here, like even at the bare minimum, she knew she'd have to be away from them for a month and she's like, that's fine, but three and a half, four months is not doable for us. Anyway, there are so many people around Australia in this situation, not just my friend, from many different parts of the world, and they're not allowed to leave. And why is ScoMo over there posing outside the pub with his beer? Having a long lunch with a Guys, bunch of men. The is remarkable. I understand in, it's an emotional issue, but I'm and I'm not an apologist for Scott Morrison, but he is the prime minister, and he's you know being a, having a seat at that table, even if you're not officially invited, and doing those deals. <laughs> He's is going to be amazing. But and I feel for your friends, but I don't think you but, can pick oh, one of two but, things. Yes, but you he's, can. he's the only leader at that entire thing who has such strict rules on their citizens leaving the country. And him standing there smiling, he's not good at optics, he's never been good at optics, and him smiling outside a pub, travelling, yeah, made me so mad. But I'm glad so he's mad. there. 
I'm glad he's there doing deals for Australia. That's a good thing. Yeah. You could have done them over Zoom. Everyone else has two people are attending <laughs> bloody funerals over Zoom. I think um. I just think it's a bad look, ScoMo. So I'm more annoyed about that. Anyway, okay. end of my little rant. Hey ladies, love the podcast, but I had to stop it immediately to record this voice memo just to say thank you to Holly. Hi out loud. Uh, I am an expat living in Chicago. I just wanted to call and say a big, big thank you for what you do. Hi, my name's Maggie. I am currently walking the dog on beautiful Stradbroke Island in Queensland and I was listening to your podcast. Love listening to you guys and your voices. Really helps. Thanks. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. So there's a song I cannot stop singing. I've been playing it in the car. It's called Solar Power and it's the new release by Lord. I'm obsessed with it, right? It came out last week. Everyone's talking about it because she hasn't dropped a song. She hasn't released any new music music for about four, four years. years. She was super young when she got famous and she's incredibly talented, but she's kind of been very quiet. I think she was going to release some music last year, but we spoke on the show that her dog died and she felt unable. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh. It's not funny. It's very sad when a dog dies. I do believe the conversation we had on the show a year ago was that sometimes you just have to get up and go to work, <laughs> even when your dog Lord dies. I things, know, I had to do that last year. But Lord does things when Lord wants to do them. She yeah, had a big break between the last album and the first one too. She's like, she was 16 when she became super, super famous with Royals and that album that followed that. And then she just doesn't play by the rules of like, if right, I we was, need another album in 18 months and another one and another one. She doesn't do that. If I was filthy rich, I'd be taking a year off after my dog died. I think all, all power to her. Yeah. Anyway. So she's released this album. She's now 24 and it sounds like summer. Here's a little bit of the song. I just love it. Think three times when you feel it kicking in that song. Oh, that'll be singing. No, we have to cut. Did we, did we agree to that? We can cut me as Mike. I'm pretty sure that our producer Emma knows how to do that. You know, we actually get complaints. In fact, if you're listening right now, hi, it's Jessie. If you're listening, what you can do is email us at outloud at mamamia.com.au with a formal complaint Please regarding the singing. Okay. You can also go to the Facebook group, Mamma Mia Out Louders, where you can file a formal complaint tagging Mia Friedman. Thank you. I, I really loved that song until so good. then. And then I was playing it in my car on the weekend and I noticed the uh, on my phone the single has come out, like the video clip's out and the image from the, the, artwork. Cu- the artwork, thank you, Holly, for the song. All I can say is that it is think about upskirting someone who is striding over a big puddle with no pants on. Can you upskirt someone with no pants on? Oh, she was not wearing a skirt. That's true, Jessie. Upskirting someone with no skirt on. So and it stopped you in your tracks. Um, it's interesting. And my f- my first word that I thought of to describe it was hectic. And then I did what everybody else I think in the world has 
done, which is to zoom in. You're terrible. Because you can't help it. And what were you looking for? Oh, I don't know. I was looking to see if she was wearing undies or whether I was actually looking up her vagina. So anyway, um, I'm well known on this podcast as being a Grinch when it comes to the way all women in the public eye who are celebrities but particularly pop stars who are young women and even older women uh, have to expose themselves a lot and can't wear clothes. And I've always held up Lord as an alternative to that because she's always like Billie Eilish before Billie Eilish. She always wore baggy clothes. She was always dressed. Now I sound now I sound like the <laughs> Taliban. You do. You do. And you're okay. so wrong it's embarrassing for you. Um if you look at her I'm new not angry, song, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> That's what I like. She's about 24 this. years old. She is a woman who is consensually running around with no pants on. Her album is about, and she describes it mm. as Sexy, playful, feral and free. That's why is, the vibe. Why are there not different ways to be sexy than having she says, a I camera think, up your clacker? You know what I see? I see freedom. <laughs> Me there too. There is nothing f- more free than not having any pants on. And she's running around <laughs> on the beach. If this is... You know what? If this was my brief and I was a photographer, I would go... I know what we'll do, Lord. Take I'm your pants off. I'm going to lie on the ground. And take a picture upwards. Of your face. I the sun think coming through your lips. And Mia and I have had this row before, but it's one of our favourites. I think, Mia, mm. I'm just going to say it, I think that your stance on this ages you. I think it's old-fashioned. Because mm. I think that the key words there, and I know what you're going to say, but is has to. You said, why does she have to take her pants off? Lord doesn't have to do anything. Lord is one of the most successful musicians in the world. She decides to take a year off because her dog's died, right? Mm. She goes, I'll give you an album when I'm ready to give you an album. She lives in Auckland. Like, no megastars live in Auckland. Do you think she would have got this much attention for the song? Yes, I do, because I actually don't think everybody is talking about her bum. I think it's a very specific... Have you you been on the internet? But if you Google, like, Lord right now, it doesn't say Lord bottom it's like lord album cover but it does the first google i don't think everyone is as obsessed with her bottom as you are but also i think that one of the lines here has to be it's just so porny there's a point but this is my point about the generational gap is there's a difference between seeing everything that is sexual as male gazy and porny and seeing it as empowering and self-love right Sex positive. I know you'll roll your eyes, but she says, as Jesse just said, she has specifically said that her whole vibe for this album is about vibrating at the highest level. Her skin is glowing. Her lovers are many. Like she's writing about sex and summer and passion. And if she wants to show her bum, it doesn't mean that some aging anymore. It doesn't mean that some aging A and R man has said to her, but it's "Take also, off your pants, Lord, and you'll get more attention." Way, I'm not saying that, but that's too simplistic because she still lives in this same system. Her legs are like the angle make her legs look impossibly long, her bum look impossibly pert. And now all all the commentary I was reading, because a lot of people don't like the song. A lot of the people who were like her who liked her emo stuff are like, it's too happy. Yeah, it, it sounds like a razor commercial. Yeah. Which I'm all into. Yeah. I love this song so much. But all the commentary is not about the song that I read online. It's about how fit she looks. But you and know how, what? Like, we hot her live bum is. In in a 
We live in an attention economy, which is all about how you can grab attention. Yes. So the best way, let's teach all our young girls, the best way to grab attention is by sticking no. a camera up your clacker. No. Oh. She could have done the naked, like the really standard kind of 90s thing in your underwear and she didn't do that. What this is, rather than being about her bum, you know what it is? It is a meme in the making. This was created mm, knowing that people would make memes out of it, that everyone would get talking, which is exactly what you want. And we spoke on an episode of M+. About your body when you're a musician? About how hot your body is? I, but people aren't talking about how hot no. it is. It's subversive. It's cool. I have, have I you agree. ever seen a woman from that angle Because it's, that is as close to putting a vagina on your album cover as you can actually oh, get, right? Point. And vaginas are subversive. Like I look at that and I go, that is not a typical porny image at all. That is a woman literally showing pussy power, like literally. Exactly. And I bloody love it. The only thing I don't love about it, the only thing that will get me on your side on this, Mia, is so you sent me that picture in our group chat. I was sitting on the couch next to Matilda, my mm. daughter who's 11, and I zoomed in because <laughs> you told me you to. Do. <laughs> And also we were like, could she have her period? There's or something a little bit red. going on. And we loved that theory, didn't we? We got we really into it. We thought that was really subversive. Period activism. Anyway, yeah. Matilda saw what was on my screen and she said, what's that picture? And I said, it's Lord's new, and she knows who Lord is because she loves some of Lord's songs. And she, I said, it's Lord's new album and she did not like it. She was like, well, there's a lot wrong with that, isn't there? I closed it. But then also I have to remember about that. Like Lord is not a children's performer. Right, like she's not necessarily not just wiggles. like Lizzo, just like all kinds. She's she's an adult woman making music for adult people, and if she wants to show her vagina on the front of her cover, I say go. Over the weekend, the Daily Telegraph published an article, and it was about a new two point five million dollar trial where pharmacists would offer private birth control counselling to young women who turn up wanting to purchase emergency contraception. Basically, this is how it would work in the real world, right? In 21 pharmacies across New South Wales, Victoria and the Northern Territory, so they're the ones that are part of the trial, a person will come in and ask for emergency contraception. So we're talking plan B or the morning after pill. Once they have made their purchase, they've paid for it, they will be asked if they would like to take part in a private room counselling session oh my God. which would outline all the available birth control options and then refer that purchaser to a clinic if they wanted to go on the contraceptive pill or get the marina or whatever might be best for them. The trial is about training pharmacists to be able to offer women more of an understanding of all of the contraceptive options available to them. For context, one in four Australian women will have an unwanted pregnancy and a third of this group will require an abortion. This program says that it's about addressing what's been identified as a key cause of these unwanted pregnancies, which is education. To be clear, this counselling session isn't mandatory. You can say no, it's an offer. If you want to come and have a chat, you don't have to. And at this point, it's just a trial. But this headline made a lot of people really angry, particularly women. Some have called it a not-so-subtle pro-life agenda. Others say that in this context, so after you've purchased the morning after pill, it could all feel a bit judgmental. 
But it's important to note, and I thought this was a, an important detail, that this initiative was a result of peer-reviewed research and the researchers and pharmacists behind this decision are pro-women's health and absolutely pro-choice. Mm. It's been suggested that the word counselling has been misconstrued. Yeah, I think that's true. Because we see it as almost a therapy session and pharmacists have come out and gone in the context of a pharmacist's practice that's not what it is. It refers to offering medical advice to suit the needs and inquiries of the patient. Mia, I think the theme of this episode is outrage. Are are we meant to be (laughs) angry about this? Are you angry about this? Well, like so many of the other things we've spoken about and speak about on this show, when you read the headline, yeah, you're just like, what is this? And then people were joining the dots and saying, well, Scott Morrison is conservative and religious and is this some secret way of trying to talk women out of... I don't know, using contraception or um, having an abortion if they need one. But I think that we need to take a minute and listen to the person who designed the research who said, wait, this has been taken way out of context. I think that having options explained to you can be really, really helpful. I've taken the morning after pill before, not for quite a long time. Um, But I feel that at that moment in a pharmacy with lots of people around you, that could be really awkward and it could feel judgmental, even if it's not. Mm. I've had that experience too. So I'm in two minds about it. I've been the person who's come in to take emergency contraception and I always feel judged, which might, I'm sure, has a lot more to do with me than it does to do with them. You keep your voice down. There's someone else at the counter wanting nappy rash cream or something mm. and you're mortified. And so you ask for what you need and it's a bit embarrassing. The, the implication is that you were somehow irresponsible. You didn't use contraception. I feel silly. So I already feel silly when I'm standing there asking for it. And then to be taken aside and to be told, here are your options. Have you considered taking the birth control pill? That will make me feel a little bit more silly, I suppose. And for a lot of women... Because then you have to say, oh, look, it's just that the condom broke or yeah, I got, the condom got yeah. lost. Or- and that's what's And look, they've done the research, so they clearly know that education is a big deal. So it's really easy for me to say, oh, but I already know, when clearly there's a lot of women who don't. But you might go in because the condom broke. You might go in because you forgot to take your pill or you've been sick so the pill hasn't been working. Mm. You might go in because you've been a victim of sexual assault. And to then be asked, hey, come and have a chat about some (sighs) long-term sexual, like, it's like getting called into the principal's office. It does. It just give me a pamphlet. It shouldn't matter why you're there. Like it shouldn't matter if you're there because you just got drunk last night and you forgot. Like, you know, it shouldn't matter. It's not the point. The, the thing that I find difficult about this is it sounds like a very well-designed plan. But as you pointed out, Jesse, the word counselling in this is just going to put off so many women. And the problem here is that if you've just read the headlines or if you've just seen the top line information about this, it's just another barrier to you going in and getting the morning after pill. And that is the thing that we should be making super easy. I mean, we were joking in our pre-meeting about this, that in my day, in inverted commas, (laughs) You would go to. You had to go to the doctor to get the morning after pill. So you'd have to like find, make an appointment, script. and maybe you weren't in mm. your normal neighbourhood or whatever, and you needed a script, and you'd go to the doctor. and And I definitely got lectured at different times in my life. Um, oh, I in, remember having to go to medical centres because it would always be on a weekend. Yeah, yeah. And it, or you'd and I, or I'd be in a strangeish mm. place because I was travelling or something, and you'd get a lecture from some conservative doctor, and then but you just sort of swallowed that as your medicine, almost like your punishment. Mm. And happily, I think we've moved on from that. The mm. fact that you can get 
this emergency contraception over the counter at a chemist I think is fabulous because unwanted pregnancies ruin lives, Mm. ruin lots and lots of lives and it should be the easiest thing to access and there shouldn't be any shame, any finger wagging, any like I have to make up 15 excuses. There shouldn't be any like can I take you aside now and tell you what you did wrong and so even if the intention is great, the circumstance and situation is wrong because as you said Mia it's not the moment to do that the from the pharmacist perspective it's the morning after pill isn't the most reliable or the most effective method and right? it's expensive and it's expensive <laughs> exactly right it's become more affordable How even in the last it? 10 years I reckon at the moment it's 25 to 30 bucks but I remember taking it when I was you know 19 or something and it was closer to 50 and so, so the we all agree that the ideal outcome is to not need it because you are not not worried about an unwanted pregnancy yes because it's expensive and also because and they will tell you 99% effective of course the more time that goes on the less so yeah if we all agree that we don't want unwanted pregnancies and pharmacists are in the same boat as us, they're saying, all right, how can we avoid doing this in future so that it's not stressful for you and it's not expensive for you? Mm. I think the other thing to consider in this discussion is um, that the cost of contraception for some women is prohibitive. So it's not free to take the pill and it's not free to get a marina or anything like that. And so that's another hurdle. But I can see where pharmacists are coming from that they know a lot more than any of us and there were some interesting interviews with pharmacists saying you would not believe the amount of women who come in and do not know they have options do not know that a marina exists or an implant yeah. thing. so can you not give me just a piece of paper because what about if you're in a country town and the pharmacist is someone who's known you since you were five mm. like that is incredibly awkward or what if you're somewhere where the pharmacist is anti-abortion because, you know, dovetailing back to why the word counselling was such a trigger for people, there's a there's a history of these so-called counselling services for unwanted pregnancies being just... Ways to talk you out of it. Ways really. to talk you out of it and, and financed and funded by um, religious organisations and anti-abortion organisations. So women are understandably wary about anyone who wants to counsel them. And often some of the people that work in pharmacists are like young. I suppose it would be the pharmacist, not the pharmacist assistant. But they might not be someone who's trained, and I guess this is what the training is about, but if the person does say I was sexually assaulted last night and that's the first person they've told, then that's a pretty heavy thing to deal with. The pamphlet where it can have all the numbers for that, it can have information about contraception. I love a pamphlet. You can look at it in the privacy of your own In your own time. What do you think out louders? Tell us. You can jump in the Mum Mirror Out Louders Facebook group to um, complain about Mia's singing and talk to us about that. We have a lot of out louders who are pharmacists and they we have do. some very interesting perspectives. So I want to know what you think about it, if this is something you'd be comfortable doing, if you think there does need to be more training, then we are interested to know. Jump into Mum Mirror Out Louders on Facebook. Jessie, you have a recommendation to round us out today. I have a thousand, but I'm going to choose one, which is one of the best books I've read in forever. I love Ooh, when I can recommend a book. Yay. And I would like out louders to know that I have completed three or four books. I have picked up and put down maybe another five. So I will only tell you when I really, really love a book. Mm. Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Have you guys heard of Daisy and the Six? Yes. And No. Okay. I haven't read it though yet. 
All right, same. So everyone who knows anything about reading says you've got to read Daisy and the Six. And I'm going to butcher this, but I think it's about, it's almost based on like Fleetwood Mac, like that kind of relationship that she had. It's a novel, but apparently it's amazing. And I was like, I don't know, is that really my vibe? I kind of like more contemporary. Oh, my God. I picked up Malibu Rising, which is her most recent. It's best-selling everywhere in the bloody world. What's it about? It is so good. It's set in Malibu and I felt like I lived in Malibu for a while. It is, like when I explain it, it's not going to sell it, but it's about a family of four kids and their father is a very famous singer. He's almost like a Mick Jagger or a Rod Stewart or something. I'm in. Yeah, and I can tell who each of the characters is, is almost based on. And they live in Malibu and it's basically about a father who walked out and a mother who stayed and what became of their lives if you liked The Bronze Horseman, Tully, those books that they have such emotional depth, it's been called a beach read and I think that that really doesn't do it justice. It's like that's the just, way of saying chiclet. just cheap marketing oh, it's stuff. The and it, remember it's about to be northern summer. And exactly. You know, northern hemisphere. So, they so need, they're selling it. Marketing. The cover is amazing. I don't think I've ever read an author who does characters as well as this author and it is when you discover someone like this Taylor Jenkins read and you go, I will read everything you write and she's got a backlog and now I get to spend the rest of like the next few months going back and reading Daisy and the Six, Evelyn Hugo and something, Seven Wives or something, which is apparently also really good. One of the best writers I've come across in a very long time, Malibu Rising, you must read it immediately. That is a bloody Can good recommendation. Yeah, I'll give it to you. I read it in you never do, a day. Right? You always say that. It's, you, really, you never do. I do, and then I bring it to work, and then someone intercepts me, and he's <laughs> like, I'm taking that. It's um, it's so, so good. Read it. That is all we have time for on Mum Mirror Out Loud today. Thank you so much for listening to us. On tomorrow's Daily Drop, we have an interesting conversation about celebrities, partly, who insist on people signing NDAs before you have sex. Please sign this before you have sex. It's about the rise of NDAs in celebrity culture. This episode was produced by Emma Gillespie, the executive producer of Mamma Mia Out Loud is Eliza Ratliff, and I'll see you on the Mamma Mia app. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.